So by the time we're adults, that mathematical equation is absolutely enormous. So our personal reality, our perception is unique to only us. So when somebody says to you, oh, Andy, I know exactly how you feel. No, they don't. Nobody does because only Andy knows how Andy feels the same way as Andy doesn't know how anyone else feels. Welcome to the Connected Leadership Podcast, hosted by Andy Lapata, the show where Andy and his guests explore the many ways in which relationships impact business decisions, make leaders' jobs easier, and help you to progress your career. Hello, and welcome to the Connected Leadership Podcast. I'm Andy Lapata. Thank you very much for joining me. First of all, an apology. If you joined us on LinkedIn on Friday when we live streamed this interview, we had to cut it short because of technical problems. So you're actually getting a bonus, completely different interview now. Uh, So uh, Linda, my guest today, and I had a really interesting discussion on LinkedIn, Facebook and YouTube uh, on Friday morning that was meant to be the recording for this podcast. uh, But people were telling us that it was cutting out a lot. So we cut it short. Uh, if you want to find out what Linda said to me there and if it how much it differs from, from this final recording, then pop over to YouTube, Facebook or LinkedIn and you'll still find that conversation there. And hopefully, well, as long as it's still listenable too, I'll check that after we finish this. But we're going for it. It's take two of the Connected Leadership podcast with Dr. Linda Shaw. Linda is someone I've known for many years. And when I started planning for this podcast uh, over a year ago, Hers was one of the first names I wrote down as a potential guest. I'm very lucky. I've got a very broad network of subject matter experts and excellent speakers on their topic and authors. Not all of them get an invite onto the show. In fact, most of them are probably seething that they don't. Uh, But that's because their topic isn't necessarily a fit with what I'm trying to share here. Linda's topic is not only that, but Linda is an excellent communicator in that topic takes a very complicated science and just shares it in a way that anyone can access. And I think that's a very powerful uh, skill to have. Uh, So our topic today is the neuroscience of connected leadership. And, And Linda, being a neuroscientist herself, seems perfectly placed to uh, have a chat with me about that. So Linda, Welcome to take two of the Connected Leadership podcast on the neuroscience of connected leadership. Thank you, Andy. Take two. I feel as if I'm in a film studio. It's rather exciting, really. (laughs) (laughs) Well, you should be in a good place to answer this question because you've already answered it at least once this morning. Uh, And uh, so where we wanted to start was just understanding what we mean by this term neuroscience, because it's been popularized uh, in recent years. Uh, We've had Uh, Professor Paul McGee on the show, mutual friend of ours, uh, who talks about certain elements of neuroscience in his books, particularly Sumo. Uh, Steve Peters, The Chimp Paradox, is often referenced by our guests as a book that they recommend. It's a book that I love as well. Uh, And they're both authors who have made neuroscience more accessible to people, help people start to recognise the role that our our brain and and the way we're programmed uh, plays in the way that we behave and the way we interact with others. And that's what I want to get into today. Uh, So you were saying in take one, how the perhaps the chimp paradox, excellent book though it is, doesn't quite get across the right message. So perhaps you can uh, start with explaining what you were talking about there and then tell us a little bit more about the science behind 
this term neuroscience? Surely. Um, well, first of all, what you, you must understand that in neuroscience, what we do is we study the nervous system. Um, and by so doing, as a cognitive neuroscientist, which is which is my title, um, we look at the biological processes of memory, of learning, of decision making, of planning, of emotion, of consciousness, which is my absolute favorite topic of all times. And all, so much more. Any cognitive process or emotional process, process that we have is what we study on a biological basis. And when we um, when we understand a little bit more about the brain we understand that our brain changes our behavior and our behavior changes our brain which is actually vital to understand because it means that we have more control over our destiny and i'm very careful how i use the word control we have um we are able to take make more deliberate choices um than we previously realized and and for people to be effective leaders basically that starts with neurons to, to be an effective leader, we really need to understand the impact of our decision making. We need to understand the impact of our thoughts and our beliefs on other people and indeed theirs on us. So that is why it's really, really good, because it makes it makes leaders more effective, more productive, more agile. And goodness me, don't we need agility now in leadership? We really do have to think on our feet. So in terms of framing that in the chimp paradox, we have to be careful because because um, it follows the idea that the, the brain is in three sections, which follows the um, from another idea, which is way back in the 1970s by a chap called McLean. And he came up with the concept of the triune brain. And that is where um, he described one part of the brain as reptilian. Those, that stuff is not true. We did not come from reptiles. We do not have brains that evolve in lumps of different bits. We don't didn't evolve from layers upon layers upon layers of, of the brain. It's different from that. We actually, the brain is about networks that influence um, our decisions and our cognitions. And those, those networks are influenced by external things that are going on around us and our feelings. So um, that, that is why we have to be very careful about how we talk about neuroscience, because it is full of misconceptions and myths out there, partly because of, um, of um, ideas and science moving forward because neuroscience is very much still an embryonic science so we we're only really as good as the latest neuroimaging technology but equally we are a neuroscientist can come out with a fantastic academic paper and the popular press look at it and they change it to fit their readership or their listeners and then people will take that information which is now second hand and then think, oh, I can sell my products on that, or oh, I can sell my services on that, and make it fit their their own schemas and scripts, which is, is get, becomes far removed from the original research. So we have to be careful when we talk about neuroscience, and we also must be mindful if you do talk about neuroscience that you do it in a in a way that well, research suggests at the moment that. Because, as I say, it's an embryonic science and we may unlearn something that we have previously thought is correct because of new technology coming in and new ideas and research. So there you go. Um, right. OK, so we're throwing the cat amongst the pigeons straight away. Uh, first of all, uh, I mean, I, I knew that this was a, a relevant topic very much for the Connected Leadership podcast, 
but when you talk about the brain as a, a series of networks that are affected what, by what happens around us well it couldn't be uh, a better metaphor i would suggest um for, for what i'm trying to to share with people as well so it, effectively we can we can see one as, a, as an analogy for the other in, in in certain sense but i want to i want to address this issue that uh, there's this misunderstanding of how the brain works and how it operates. Um, uh, having looked at the chimp paradox, what is it that we can take from that uh, book? Uh, and I'm making an assumption here that, that I know a number of, of listeners will have read it. Um, but but I think the biggest takeaway for many people is that we have this chimp, this limbic system at the front of our brain that, that reacts in an instant. Uh, and that governs a lot of our responses to things before the rest of the brain catches up and helps to make more considered uh, decisions. Um, what is it that we can take from that um, and can assess at the moment as fairly accurate and uh, something that is worth considering? And what should we um, what should we move away from? What should we be very careful about applying? Okay, well, when you're talking about that book in particular, you're talking about basically emotion. And but what is what, what is correct is to think of emotion as what the brain creates in re, in response to the internal feelings, and also in terms of the context those feelings you are getting. So, in context of whom who you're speaking with, where you are, what is going on around you, what your memories are, what your perceptions are. So, therefore, we are actually creators of our emotion. Um, if you are, um, and it, that, that, that there is a popular belief that in therefore you've got this this uncontrollable. Um, in, uh, naughty thing that the, the frontal cortex is trying very hard all the time to control. That is the analogy that's perpetuated, which isn't true. What you can take from it is something like um, that their, their target's going to, they're going to achieve this month and they exaggerate those because they are talking to their sales director and they're really not wanting to hack the sales director off. So basically what they do, they elevate those numbers. And then when it comes to the end of the month, they disappoint the sales director because those numbers were not attainable and therefore they're going to let them down. Now, what happens in the brain is this. When, when the, the sales director is anticipating these, um, these amazing figures that are going to come in as targeted and therefore, you know, they, the, the sales director is going to look better in terms of their CEO, what you're finding is that the the sales director's dopamine levels dopamine levels are are higher, so they're feeling good. It's a, it's a one of the feel good neurotransmitters, so they're feeling really upbeat and great. And yeah, we're going to hit the numbers this month. This is really good. The sales the salesperson then comes in and and says, well, actually, I've I'm down twenty percent. Um, and I thought so immediately, the, the dopamine levels will plummet. When the dopamine levels plummet, the, the frontal cortex finds it harder to think clearly. And it can you can set off a, a moment of conflict. So it's, it is likely that the sales director will go, oh, hands up in the air. What? Really? Like, really get cross? And, and, and this you've got a conflict then between two members of staff who are pivotal on the success of the business. Not helpful. Now, I saw this. Um, years ago, my husband and I went into our solicitor's office for something that was really rather important. And my husband is David, and our solicitor was Peter. 
Um, uh, we went we went into the office and David was expecting Peter to have done something that was very important. When we got there, so David's dopamine levels were now high, secretions were high. Um, I um, Peter hadn't done it. He hadn't done it for good reason, but he didn't have chance to tell David because David immediately went, what? what, what? Off he went, okay? So Peter was our friend and um, he uh, was also anticipating a nice meeting for two friends coming into the office. So his dopamine levels were high. Now he's, he's a plummeted. Neither men, neither of these men were thinking clearly because of this and because the prefrontal cortex was doing its thing and fogged and not working properly. They locked horns big time. It was so boring. I can't tell you. I'm looking <laughs> at these two people locking horns, going round and round in circles. And I thought, oh, for goodness sake. <clears throat> and I started looking around the room. And as I was looking around the room, I saw a cupboard. And on the cupboard was Peter's courtroom wig. So I interrupted proceedings and I said, Peter, how do you clean your wig? And he went, good God, girl, you don't clean it. You kick it around the gutter to make it look even dirtier. I thought, right. And it diffused the whole thing. The humour, thank goodness it landed well, (laughs) because you've got to be careful with humour. Both of them, the feel-good neurotransmitters started to um, rise again. Dopamine levels were rising and they started to think clearly. They talked about it and it was all fine. So there's two messages. First of all, if you have got message as um, to a client or customer or indeed your boss, do not um, promise something you can't deliver because their anticipation of good things happening will plummet and therefore their chemicals in their brain will um, act very badly and you will be on a back foot and you will not be able to negotiate well. So we don't need that. And equally, um, just you can use gentle humour, especially if it is not um, in sarcastic or nasty in any way, shape or form, to diffuse a situation in order to to create more of a, a cohesive conversation. I think that's a, a wonderful uh, example. I would have probably put the wig on personally. Uh, <laughs> but I, I think that's a wonderful uh, example that we can all recognise, both from our personal lives and from our professional lives. I mean, you and I have served on the same board on the Professional Speaking Association, and I'm I'm sure that I've been guilty uh, of those dopamine, dopamine crashes on more than one occasion. Uh, and, and I think that any organisation like that, any team, I think the sales environment is a good example having operated in that because there's a lot of chemicals um, pumping around everyone's body, you know, in that sort of high-pressure sales environment at any time. So I think there's probably many things that could crash um in those moments i am talking about naturally formed chemicals by the way in case anyone's wondering um so i think that you know that that very much goes to what we're we're trying to look at in terms of taking this idea of neuroscience and and looking at it through the lens of connected leadership because you've illustrated really clearly there how we can easily get it wrong not on a conscious level um effectively on 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 an uh an instinctive level an animal level um and and that's what we need to sort of perhaps get uh, on top of a little bit more so uh, there are a few areas that i thought we could look at in 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 the scenarios uh of a leader and and what they're trying to do in leading a team in working with colleagues in working uh with other departments and, and external stakeholders as well 
so the first thing we've talked about conflict there and we may well come back to the topic but let's look on the other side and let's look at attraction because we 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 know about the 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 you know, we, we know the phrase about chemistry. There's chemistry between two people. We know uh, the feeling of being drawn to someone rather than someone else. And obviously, within the politics, the power play of a team or an office, that can have a very powerful impact. If you're the leader and you have an instinctive preference for one of your team over another, or you have a better chemistry with one other department head and not another, or they with you, that can have a big impact on on people's careers, on people's satisfaction, and on your ability to deliver a project. So how much of that uh, attraction is governed by our emotions, governed by our nervous system, and, 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 and does that impact on our ability to be a fair leader? Yes, it does. I mean, we're attracted to people for many reasons. We're attracted to them sometimes because they're like us which is why we've got to be very careful of our biases. We, we can be attracted to them because they look healthy, um, because therefore that could, we could, in, in an unconscious level, think they're looking healthy, so therefore they're going to be good workers, that we're going to get some, some decent effort out of them, probably working longer hours than they should be, or indeed a stay with the company or the, the, the organisation longer. We can we are attracted to people sometimes because of our past experiences of someone like that person. Um, we can, we can, we're attracted to people who are ambitious. We're attracted to people who are funny. We're attracted to people who are kind. Um, we're attracted to people who are interesting. So we can be attracted to people, more people, some people more than others because of many attributes. So we do have to be careful of it. But we are, again, I'm going to use this word control, but I want to be very, again, reiterate. It's not about being controlling. It's, it's actually about um, choosing, deliberately choosing how we behave because we, we do have control how we behave, even if we are attracted to one person more than another in the office. So we, if we are aware of it, and again, it's all about awareness and, and, and understanding better about ourselves, how we're operating and how others are operating. But if we are, um, if we are understanding more about why we're attracted to somebody and why we're not attracted to others, that can cause such um, a, a, an atmosphere of unfairness and a cliqueiness and a, oh, my God, you know, they're the A-team or all of these things that people come out with. Oh, you know, are you in the cheap seats today? And all the, I hear these things all the time. Um, so if as a, as a leader, if you do realise that you actually are, are favouring a member of your staff over another, then you, you have control over how you behave. And it's up to you to step back and, and correct your behaviour to make it fair. So let, let's say, okay, you have the, the ability to control how you behave. When you are feeling, uh, and I'm going to go to extremes, you, when you're feeling a strong natural attraction to one member of your team, and I'm not talking sexual attraction, I'm just talking you, you feel they're like you, you feel drawn to them, whatever it may be, but that's very powerful, and you feel a very strong revulsion or, or, or repulsion with another member of your team, what can you do to naturally control those feelings and treat them both fairly? Um, I, I think it, it, it's very easy in, in, in theory, but in practice, uh, when we're 
we are feeling repelled by someone and it's not on a uh, uh it, it's not on a conscious level in the sense that there are reasons for it but we just do not feel comfortable around them at all it can be very hard to overcome that um, if you are feeling as you say repulsion or or some over someone then you would be very wise to analyze why you are it would be very wise to look beyond that and look at them to see, because again, this is your perception. This is based upon your perceptions, which are your own reality. So it's a very good idea to actually look at that other person and think, well, where are their talents? What is it they're doing? What are they bringing to the table? What is it that they are contributing to as a team member? You know, what, what, why do we need this person? And actually, if you start to peel back those layers, you will see that person more favorably. Um, because they are bringing something to the table. Some people are can be really irritating because they want everything done right now and I want to be centre of attention and I'm da-da-da-da-da and you think, oh, for goodness sake, and that, that you want to push that person away. But in a certain circumstances, those talents are actually very valuable because they will, might will probably be very good at decision-making on their feet. They're probably fast to do things and in, in certain circumstances as I say that is very helpful so you know, we need to evaluate the different personalities and what they're bringing to the table and and appreciate them for that so it sounds like a lot of it is actually about stopping and analyzing stopping and understanding what is going on so would you say that to be able to build better professional relationships generally it's important to constantly review where we're at, stop and understand what's what's driving our behaviour in those in, in those interactions. Yeah, let's 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 chat a minute about perception. I think that would be good at this point in context. Um, that this story is uh, that really does have some poetic license. So here we go. I, I want you to, if we understand why people are doing what they do, or indeed understanding that they are different in the way of approaching things we have, and we understand that, then we have a better chance of getting on with them better, okay? So let's let's take this little story. Two women are pregnant. Uh, we're in the second trimester. Both babies are born on, are due rather on exactly the same day. And they're in the second trimester and their babies have just developed taste buds on their tongue. So they're now able to taste five, one of the five or all of the five strongest flavors, um, which um, they taste through the amniotic fluid. On a particular day in the second trimester, the first mother is eating cooking apples. So her baby's first taste or sensation of taste is now sour. The same day, this other woman is eating chocolate. So her baby is eating sweet. The second day, they swap. So the baby's perception of sour, of, of, of sweet rather, is now based upon, to a certain extent, what they have perceived so far, which is the sour taste. And it's the other way around for the baby, the second baby. By the third day, um, these, two, these two women are sharing a bowl of olives. Now these babies are tasting salty. Their perception of the salty flavor will be based upon their, their experiences so far, which are just two things, exactly the same, but delivered in opposite way, in an opposite time. So by the time these babies are born, of all of the things that they have experienced, the sensations they've experienced, their perceptions will be quite an interesting mathematical equation because the next every, everything we perceive is, will be evaluated based upon our perceptions so far. So that it makes us unique. 
So by the time we're adults, that mathematical equation is absolutely enormous. So our personal reality, our perception is unique to only us. So when somebody says to you, oh, Andy, I know exactly how you feel. No, they don't. Nobody does because only Andy knows how Andy feels the same way as Andy doesn't know how anyone else feels. So when we understand that, we understand better that those people around us who are, are not like us, who are we are not naturally attracted to, or we are not, we're looking at them as if they're not the best member of the team. Actually, they've all got a very own reality that is completely different from one another. So when we understand that, we have a better chance of getting on with people and in indeed um, motivating them to be uh, better team members and indeed um, moving towards the common goal. How does that impact our ability to empathise with other people? Because empathy is based on understanding how people feel. So if we, we don't, uh, that, that surely makes it more difficult. No, we don't. We don't. Empathy is um, trying to put ourselves in another person's shoes, but can't actually do it. It's that effort of trying. Empathy comes from a, a level of understanding and a feeling that you feel for them. So an empathy comes when, when we ask questions, when we dig a little deeper, when we just really do want to understand what they are about, not going, how are you? Oh, I'm fine. Thanks. Job done. No, we need to truly um, speak to them. That's why in a business environment, um, a, a, a leader needs to understand their direct reports very well um, so that they can have empathy for them and understanding for what is going on in their lives. And equally, those direct reports need to understand their direct reports because you can't understand the whole organisation, but you can with a handful of key people. Um, and, that, and that is, I think, key to collaboration and um, pro pro good productivity. It, it, it clearly is. And I think that that's a, a key point that you can't, this point that you can't understand how someone else feels, even if you've been through the same thing, is very powerful. Because I think we're too we're very quick to jump to that conclusion. Um, someone who has uh, lost their job, someone who has been passed over for promotion, uh, someone who's seen a project fail. I've been there. I know how you feel. We're all tempted to respond like that. Um, but actually, because of what has happened before in their lives, in their careers, they may well feel differently about that experience than we did ourselves when we went through it. Um, so, I, I, you know, I think one important takeaway from this is that we've got to temper how we approach that, that we can reach into how we felt, but that we've maybe got to explore further what they're going through. Yeah, I, I, th I think that that's absolutely right. And it's quite interesting, isn't it, that we judge people on what they do, but we judge ourselves on what we intended to do. So perhaps intention is something we we, we wise to consider when we think about others as well rather than you know anything else so i think i think intention is big it, it really is big and if if we if we actually said to people i don't know what it's like to be you i can only guess but please help me understand a bit more and they would be so delighted that you're actually truly making them feel significant in that they are a decent human being and worthy of your time then they will they will perform much better for you as a leader. We hope that you're taking away some valuable lessons from this edition of the Connected Leadership Podcast. 
If you would like support in developing, nurturing, and leveraging strong relationships to support you in your role, please visit andylapata.com forward slash mentoring. So that leads us nicely on to something else I wanted to explore with you, which is the concept of unconscious bias and how the way what we've experienced in the past, um, the way we've been wired and programmed based on, on, on the journey so far can lead us to unconscious bias. How does that show up in the workplace and how do you handle that uh, as a leader, both unconscious bias in yourself, primarily unconscious bias in yourself, but also uh, in, in the way that your team uh, behave and act? Well, first of all, we have to understand what unconscious bias is. Um, uh, when the brain is, is um, exposed to a cacophony of stimuli at any one time and our attention is narrow and that and what we attend to is what goes into our conscious processing. So the, what the brain does and everything else goes is, uh, is in unconscious processing uh, and it's therefore automatic. So the brain works very hard to um, put everything in automatic um, processing as quickly as possible. So we label things. And for instance, we categorize things and, and therefore they're like shortcuts. So if I see something, an animal with four legs, a tail and two ears, I think, oh, that's a cat labeled, gone, finished. I don't have to think about that now, but it might be a dog. So we could be wrong. So basically what happens is these, we, these labels, these categories become shortcuts. So, so therefore we tap into the shortcuts to understand what this animal is. Now, those shortcuts are called heuristics, and with heuristics comes um, mistakes, like I have just, just described. And that is when we get unconscious bias. So unconscious bias is actually normal. But what we have uh, must understand is we, well, we must not normalize it. It's normal, but we mustn't normalize it because it's socially and economically unfair and um, just it's not acceptable. But the, the thing is, when I go into organizations talking about unconscious bias, I like to know them to know up front that there are only they're the only people on this earth who do not have unconscious bias are dead people. We've all got them. OK, it's being aware of them is what matters. Being aware when we are demonstrating them is what matters, which is um, why unconscious bias training needs to be ongoing. It can't be a one-off training coming in and, okay, tick that box, job done. It's not job done. It's wasted your money and your time. So basically, we need actually to people who are, if they're going to do any kind of un unconscious bias training for especially people who are at an interview panel, something like that, and they're looking for people who might have, they might have a bias of the interviewee because they went to the same university or one of those things. So there, you're, there are biases coming out which are not helpful when you're trying to employ some, the best person for the job. So if you are going to um, use any kind of un un unconscious bias training, it is very wise to um, maybe get that person in on a monthly basis or indeed get a recording, but, uh, get a whole package so that your people can see this to top up, top up the learnings to keep it in the front of your mind um, and that, you know, unconscious bias is normal, but it's not acceptable, in, especially in a working environment. It's an interesting one. Everything you say makes absolute sense. Uh, and it's challenging that unconscious bias has been portrayed, I think, in the media, particularly in the UK, as something that's part of the woke agenda. Uh, and I think I'm particularly thinking of 
uh, earlier this year uh, where there was unconscious bias training in the House of Lords and several older law lords, uh, not law lords, several older lords, including some uh, very well-known senior politicians, refused to attend and were, were reprimanded uh, for, for, for doing so. How do you address that perception that this is just another woke thing and actually get people to understand that it's not trying to change um, who they are and make them more woke in, in, in that negative sense. It's not um, a tick, a box ticking, ticking, a box ticking exercise. It's actually something that's going to be to the benefit of everyone. You persuade people by t by by teaching them a little bit about the brain. You because because if people don't know, they're on the back foot. They think you're attacking them. That you're that that, that you're saying in 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 a sort of a subliminal way that what they're doing is not good enough. That they are bad people. Um, they are not bad people. They are normal people. But when we are aware of what how our brain operates, then we can realize that what we're doing is fine, and I can talk about it. And um, because people would shy away from that. And because it's it, the connotations are pretty pretty awful, um, but in actual fact, as I say, it, it's simply a side effect of heuristics. But when people know that, they go, "Oh, okay then, okay, what keep talking? Tell me more." Um, and that is what I find in the workplace. So even the most senior people, the even the older older people, like we would get in the House of Lords, and they actually they're you know they're intelligent people. They would want to think, oh, teach me something. Right. Tell me about my brain. Tell me about what I can do about this if it's not that bad. So that's it. It's it's a it's knowledge, it's learnings. Um, you know, knowledge is power, as they used to say. Um, but we don't need to know a huge amount of these things, but we need to know the relevant stuff to us to operate as better human beings. So we've 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 talked a lot about understanding ourselves better, understanding how we respond, how we're programmed. Uh, in terms of building relationships internally and externally in a leadership role, it helps to be able to understand other people as well. So, to what extent does this knowledge of neuroscience help us understand other people? And um, to what extent can we read too much into it and almost misinterpret the data because we're trying too hard? We can't understand anyone unless they tell us more about themselves. You know, we think we can observe them as some kind of pseudo-psychologist and get, a, get an inkling of what they're like. We can't. And we don't know how people are thinking. We are not mind readers. We, we never know anything. We only know on our observation and what they tell us. So therefore, and how they make us feel. So therefore, it boils back down to asking enough about people, not prying about their personal life, but just asking questions that they're comfortable answering so that you understand them more and that you're giving them your time. Because if you're giving your time, you're making them feel special. And if they're feeling special, they will work better for you and you will understand them better and they will understand you better. It's basic, basic communication skills. Like that's how we that's how we build relationships with our, our people and that's how we motivate them better because everybody is motivated for different reasons. Mostly they're motivated for intrinsic reasons, for think reasons that are coming from them, what their purpose is, what they uh, what their values are. The intrinsic reasons are the motivators, and you won't know what they are until you ask. 
equally, you know, you can, might be saying, okay, there's a lovely sparkly new car if you meet these numbers or, hey, you get this bonus if you do this. They're extrinsic motivators that can actually work for some for a short while, can actually work against people, against your motives um, to motivate them. People are thinking, oh, you know, they, they might feel, um, well, I don't need that. So, I, you know, I'm not going to try or something. It can actually go against you. Um, so, therefore, to understand people of what motivates them, what influences them, and they are an integral part of the team that is um, going to make the organisation um, greater or not, is really vital. So it's, it's, it's simple, Andy. It is simple. Find out from asking people, go for a walk with them, especially walking, because you are the two people are looking in the same direction. So automatically, there's no that you're not locking horns, you're, you're aiming for the same goal, which is the destination. Go for a walk with somebody, get to know them a bit better, find out what motivates them, find out what their problems are, and see if you can help. That is how it works. As someone who's who counts uh, long distance walking among his hobbies, uh, I particularly like that uh, that idea. A uh, really nice way to get also get away from uh, I think the the oppressive work environment. What can be an oppressive work environment into nature, uh, into a more calming uh, and neutral uh, surrounds can make a difference as well. So if we take all of this together, everything that we've talked about today. How can we use this effectively in terms not just of working more effectively with the teams and the colleagues and the, the, the uh, contacts we have in place, but also in building those teams in the first place? So in, as part of a recruitment process, would you build an understanding of neuroscience into the way that you recruit for a team? Yeah, I think one of the, if you're recruiting, I think this is where we enter the world of diversity, equity and inclusion. Um, we we again we similar we are attracted to similarities, which is what we've already discussed. But but people we need a diversity of people to bring a richness of innovation, richness of ideas, richness of their own perceptions that are going to bring something to the table. So if it's the recruitment process, it's really important to have um, have a mixture of different kinds of people who are qualified, who are, you know, um, have, have all, all tick all of the boxes in terms of what they need in experience and qualifications. But nevertheless, if we have, if we have a richness of a workforce, then um, goodness me, what a breath of fresh air. Big time. Well, that's a, a breath of fresh air on which to end the conversation. Uh, Linda, thank you very much for persevering and going through with take two. You're going to hang around so that we've we've got you on record for Thursday's shorter podcast as well. Uh, but in the meantime, thank you very much, Linda Shaw. Thank you very much, Andy. So I, thank you so much to Linda for joining me. Uh, I, I knew that that would be an interesting topic. There were so many different ways we could have gone with that. But the connection between the neuroscience and uh, the, the, the relationships that we build. You know, I, I made that aside about the, the analogy with networks themselves. Uh, when you look at the networks in the brain and the way it functions, um, it, it was a it was a bit of a cheeky aside, but it's it, it, there's probably a lot <laughs> to consider in there. The way that all of our experiences, uh, everything we've gone through in our journey connects. Mm -hmm. 
uh, can make a big impact on how we behave and how we interact with other people. Um, and, and that's the exact same in the way that uh, networks work as well. All the experience, all the expertise we surround ourselves with impacts on the way we engage with others. Um, so I think there was a lot to take away from there. I hope that you've taken something that you can apply uh, with your colleagues and with your team. Come and join us on Thursday when Linda uh, shares uh, with us the impact of professional relationships uh, on her career and some books and resources that, that have inspired her. Uh, a, a quick apology. I was getting some feedback in my ears when I was speaking. Uh, I don't know if that at this stage, if that's come through on the podcast itself. If it has, I hope it didn't affect that you're listening pleasure too much um but uh thanks for sticking through to the end if, if it did uh and uh i will see you again soon on the connected leadership podcast thank you for listening to the connected leadership podcast if you found this valuable please subscribe tell your colleagues and friends share on social media and post a review on the podcast channel you use to listen to it and of course Join us again soon for another interesting interview and great connected leadership tips.